What's up, what's up, everybody? This is your girl, Shanti Das. I'm so excited to be back, back on these airways, talking to you guys, bringing to your, your homes this great information around mental health and wellness. And I'm so excited today because it's back to school time, y'all. I know in the South, the school buses are already rolling out there on the roads and soon, you know, Northeast kids will be going back to school. We got kids out West starting it. And, and, and you know, it's, it's really a critical time right now to make sure that our kids are getting the support that they need from a mental health and wellness perspective. And that's why I am so excited about this conversation today. Our topic is managing mental health in the school systems, right? Whether that's elementary, middle and high schools and couldn't think of a, a better, more experienced expert to be on today's show. I'm so excited. This, this lady is no stranger to the Silence of Shame podcast. She helped us out a lot before we even truly had our 501c3. She's been a part of our community conversations and so much more. And uh, we just truly love her. Let's give a warm, warm, warm welcome to our dear friend and uh licensed everything counselor <laughs> psychotherapist everything dr adrian welcome dr adrian welcome hey friend shanti i'm so hey, glad man. to be here i miss y'all we miss you more we miss you more and we love you and just thank you and uh we got a lot to talk about today so yes, we do. let's jump right in okay. <laughs> First question that I want to ask you, um, Dr. Adrian, is since the pandemic, there seems to be a higher demand for school counselors to tackle mental health issues in middle school and high schools. Do you think this is an accurate assessment? It's definitely an accurate assessment. And unfortunately, the average school counselor is not trained in mental health. And a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't realize that. So I was always an anomaly because I would come to the table because I was not an educator. My background was mental health counseling. I was always talking about treating the whole child 30 years ago. Mm. And so, and saying that we could not ignore some of the things that they come to school with the trauma and the abuse and that sort of thing. And so the average school counselor did not have the same level of training that I had. And so a lot of times they become frustrated because they don't have the knowledge base to deal with a lot of the issues that they're now seeing. And then again, with the pandemic now, it mm -hmm. has just amplified some of the issues that a lot of people were already dealing with. So tell me, what, what typically was or is the role of a school counselor? And then what is the role of the school psychologist? Because I've, I've seen, you know, research and studies that show technically, and I'm not sure who came up with this, but it should be like one school psychologist to every like 500 students. But I know particularly in the Southeast, it can be one to, you know, a thousand or 5,000 students, especially in some of maybe the rural communities don't, that don't have, again, some of the same resources? Yeah. So there's a distinction between what a school counselor does and a, and a psychologist. Even from the perspective of what I do as a psychotherapist, there is a difference from what I do from what a psychologist does. So a psychologist's main focus is testing and assessment. 
Mm-hmm. That's where they spend their time, all of their time. It's not in treatment. Okay. With a school counselor, they're wait, basically- Wait, stop for a second. Okay. When you say testing, okay. what kind of tests? So when you talk about kids who may um, need additional services and resources, so they do all of the special education testing inside of the school system. And that includes not just learning difficulties, but also behavioral challenges as well. So that's what a school psychologist focuses on. That's what a psychologist focuses on. So when you talk about clinical psychology, you are talking about testing and assessment. And so let me ask you this, Dr. Adrian. Um, do you think that, and I know you, you work in the state of Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And you used to work with different schools. And I know now you've, you've gone back in. Do you think there is is a mental health crisis, I think, like, you know, we're hearing um, just because of, you know, post-pandemic, or is that exaggeration, or, you know, how are the school systems really, you know, working to increase the need? So, and and I want to circle back around and just say, in terms of what a counselor does, you know, counselors are supposed to do the development of students in terms of character development. So classroom guidance, scheduling, individual counseling, group counseling is what the focus is supposed to be. But a lot of times, because people don't know what counselors do, they get pulled to do hall duty and bus duty. And so a lot of times, you know, counselors are frustrated because they don't get an opportunity to really meet the needs of the children. Because I am a psychotherapist who just happened to go back and get certified in school counseling and had the privilege to work at the elementary, middle, high school level. And I started at an alternative school. And so I was a counselor and then I transitioned to an assistant principal and said, don't want to do this uh, because education is very political. So in terms of do we have a mental health crisis, we've always had a mental health crisis. But unfortunately, educators focus on pedagogy and test scores. And so I was always the one sounding the alarm saying, if you're talking about little Johnny, whose father is incarcerated, little Susie, whose mama is drug addicted, little Sharon, who has been dealing with molestation from an uncle. When those children come to the schoolhouse, just providing them with free and reduced lunch is not enough to help them learn. We have to get to the core of what's going on, not just with that child, but also we got to be able to support the family. And so when I was saying this 30 years ago, I was getting a lot of pushback from Mm -hmm. educators who were saying that just can't be our focus. And I've been sounding the alarm for 30 years saying, I can assure you there will come a time because educators have kids seven to eight hours a day, Uh waking hours. When parents get kids, you're trying to do homework and put them to bed and get ready for the next day. And so I've always said, what greater impact than for us to be able to address mental health? But because of the stigma, as you know, so many people have always shied away from it. And so even looking at the the upsurge of ADD and ADHD diagnosis, Mm -hmm. 
And so when I started in education was when they really started to be this surge. And there were a lot of parents who were saying. Around what year was that, Dr. 1994. Okay. Okay. 1994. And so a lot of parents were saying, you know, I don't want my child on medication because that became the thing. And so I am somebody who is a proponent of, you know, natural remedies because there are natural herbs out there to deal with everything, diet to deal with everything. And so I would sit down with my parents and have conversations to find out what is your child eating for breakfast? Are they eating protein? Because protein combats deficits that are caused with attention. Mm -hmm. So if you increase your protein and you're somebody that has problems with concentrating, you're going to see a change. So there were all. So anyway, I was able to have these conversations because I wasn't trained to think like an educator that I got to teach little Johnny how to read and pass his tips. That was not my focus. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Do you feel like there's a gap or there had been a gap between the educators and and let's say like if we looked at them like departments and counseling, is it something that needs to be like a cohesive? um, I don't know, like a cohesive. Strategy, partnership. a partnership, right, like to where they both are kind of working together and they're able to maybe even have some of the teachers trained to recognize certain things that them and the counselors can develop a plan? Like, is there a gap there too? Absolutely. And so, again, because a lot of teachers and principals, administrators, had no clue about what it was that counselors actually did, there was always a disconnect. So you would get counselors who were pulled for discipline, you know, to deal with a discipline issue. And so, we would have to explain. That didn't happen with me. I had an amazing, I've always had great principals who understood the work that I do. But a lot of counselors would become extremely frustrated because they would get pulled to deal with a discipline issue. And so that then impacts the therapeutic relationship that you're trying to develop with a child because they now see you as another person who is disciplining me as opposed to understanding why my behavior is what my behavior is. So there has been a disconnect for a very, very long time. And, you know, even in the school system that I'm in, which is a large district, a lot of times counselors are pulled to do, you know, registration and scheduling and that sort of thing. But you would have a registrar on site. And that was that person's responsibility. And so, Our responsibility is in the career and guidance piece, not inputting data. So a lot of times counselors are frustrated because they get misused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I want to go back to something that you were talking about, Dr. Adrian, earlier. Um, We were talking about how little Johnny has, you know, these other issues, right? And factors Mm -hmm. that are happening within the home. And it's causing him maybe to be anxious, to be stressed or Maybe he's dealing with, you know, trauma from gunshots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have this open gun carry law and a lot of yeah. young kids are wreaking havoc in, in the city and in other parts of Georgia. And so um, how do you how do schools deal with the issue where, OK, if you are giving mental health support now to the child, but then the parents may be young and not fully or properly socialized, right? Mm-hmm. Or, 
you know, maybe um, not that mature, if you will? Mm-hmm. Are there services where they're trying to extend just resources, community resources to the parents? Or what, what does that look like? So there are different schools, typically a Title I school that will have outside support because those are the schools where the children are most likely to be on free and reduced lunch, meaning that chances are they are getting some sort of public assistance. And so because of that, that's an area the government, I can say, recognized it much sooner than educators that there was a need for this support and for it to be in the schools. And so there are programs that are allowed to come into the school system to support the kids in the school setting. The problem that, you know, they continue to run into with educators, and I get it, is that, you know, they don't like kids being pulled out. So the great thing about, you know, what a counselor is able to do is to be able to address, we have always had components of mental wellness as a part of our curriculum. They just weren't calling it that. We were calling it character education, character development, you know, it would turn and get a new buzzword. But we were dealing with basic traits and characters that we wanted developed to make you a productive citizen. You know, how you deal with anger? How do you deal with bullying? How do you do? And so those are the things that counselors have always had conversations around. And so, you know, we have a great platform to be able to go into the classroom and to deal with that. Now, the piece you mentioned about parents, I've always said we can treat the child, but if we don't treat the parent, then the child is going to just go right back into the same environment. That's right. We have to figure out what it is that they need collectively as How do we family. do that though? How do we do that? So, so at the school where I am, and I'm I am so excited about my school. I actually I told free, I actually got a call to interview for this position. Okay. And so I said to them, I said, you all know I have conditions, right? And so I said, so tell me about it. They said, part-time. I said, okay, you got my attention. What else? All boys, middle school. Absolutely. Because that's where I wanted to focus 30 years ago mm-hmm. when single gender schools were not popular. But I was in a leadership program. And so they said, if you could create your school, what would it be? And I said, an all boys middle school, because a lot of times the interactions with some of those Black female teachers with those middle school boys was not positive at all. And I felt like it was because of their personal relationships, romantic relationships. And so they were very aggressive with these middle school boys. And, you know, so so it's hard to have those conversations. So anyway, that was what I wanted 30 years ago and it didn't exist. So when I got the call, I was like, Yes, I will apply. And so at the end of the interview, the principal said, I have not talked to anybody this long. And he said, you know, we're going to make our decision by Monday. 
And I got the email, you know, the next day saying, you know, you're our choice. And so we've had conversations because he said, you bring so much experience, you can be as out of the box as you want to. Meeting the counselor requirements, but you're a psychotherapist. So what are some things you would want to do? I said, the first thing I want to do is I'm going to establish coffee with the council. Mm. And I am going to do it with my female parents. I'm going to do it with my male parents. And then there will be some that I will do jointly because as a mother, a boy's mom, you know, I got that one girl, (laughs) but I have three sons. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started my profession, I worked at a, um, the Methodist home for children. And I supervised two boys cottages So I have boys ages eight to 18. Mm -hmm. So I have always been a boy mom. Mm -hmm. And so I said, we have to have conversations with mothers so that they understand that we are raising men, not boys. There you go. Mm -hmm. So, so, so planning to have some tough conversation, but also to provide a skill set because sometimes you don't know what Mm -hmm. to do. You know, you doing what you saw or what you've seen on TV or, you know, you just don't have a clue and you just need some support. So it's going to be done in a very nurturing and loving way. But at the same time, my goal is to make sure that every young man that comes through me, his parents understand what he needs. He understands what he needs and that collectively they can then get together and plan his future because I'm going to talk about some trauma. I'm going to talk about trauma in your background, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you can understand, well, maybe I need to go and get some support and go sit on the couch too. Yeah. So one, I commend you on that. I think that's fantastic. Do you think, do you think there is a trend now where you see, and I know you speaking for some schools or just kind of from the state of Georgia perspective, but is there like a trend or a shift with schools hiring counselor that counselors that are trained in mental health or bringing in more mental health counselors, if you will, as opposed to just regular counselors? There are districts that are actually moving towards having a mental health counselor, whether it's a marriage and family therapist or, right. you know, but somebody who has that background yeah. to serve between schools. Okay, Some great. can afford to have them at their particular school. And so, and this is in addition to the, the guidance counselor. And so, okay. so, so those two are going to have to definitely collaborate very, very closely so that it doesn't become territorial because their roles are not the same. And so it would be an administrator's responsibility to really make sure that 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 is defined so that nobody's stepping on toes. But I think that that is certainly the best of both worlds because our training is different. I love that. Go on and write that curriculum so every school system can help Dr. Adrian. (laughs) Look, don't put that on my plate. I know, I know. I'm just kidding. I I did have one more question for you too. Now, I'm sure that a lot of this also um, is, you know, making it uh, a bringing a strain, if you will, for teachers and they got to protect their own mental health and wellness. Do you know if there is anything in place to support the teachers from a mental health perspective? And if not, 
Can you give uh, any teachers that might be listening some tips on what they can do to protect their mental health as well as they're in, you know, kind of some, you know, tough times, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about education is that most school systems have really good health insurance. And so I would say make sure that you utilize your EAP, Employee Assistance Program Benefits, because those are free sessions. And a lot of times they go unused. So typically everybody's going to have somewhere, the model is usually between three and 12. So it just depends on where you work. But, you know, there's usually an average of about, around about six to eight, where you would get free counseling sessions. All you got to do is show up, make the appointments and show up. And so that is a resource that a lot of people don't. And so that's everybody that works for a district from your custodians to your bus drivers. So it's everybody. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I do a lot of work for a lot of different EAPs. So I work with people from all sorts of companies and you know, but there's always the discussion about how people are not utilizing the services. So there are actually two corporations that have contracted with me. I'm on site for them once a week. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is not the school system. This is a huge corporation because Mm -hmm. they recognize we're coming out of a pandemic or trying and people need support. They need some assistance. But in terms of educators in particular, because it is easy to get burned out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's easy to have way too much on your plate. And so I think that one thing that educators have to do is to set boundaries. And so you can't be all things to everybody. And if you are coming in early and staying late, Somebody in your life is not getting the best of you. And typically it's the people that you live with. So they have to be able to find a balance and set some boundaries to know what they can actually achieve. And then I would say, you know, and this is for kids and teachers as well. We have to learn to take care of the physical piece of us, because Mm -hmm. if you're not taking care of your physical body, it will impact your mental And so people ignore that, you know, I've been going through some classrooms just, you know, just popping in because I'm new and I'm looking at the snacks that the teachers have because, you know, sixth grade, you know, those are still babies, you know, some of them so tiny and cute. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm looking at the snacks that the teachers are bringing in the classroom. And I'm like, when are we going to start bringing some fruit? Yeah, you know, when, when are we going to start having some healthy their mood too? Absolutely. Yes, so you, you listen. When when my G baby went to her pre K orientation, the teacher pulled out candy, and and so my daughter, my mother, and my godmother and I were all looking like, oh, that's not what we do. We don't reward with candy. That 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 that's not what we do, you know. And so. I think that we have to look at our own biases and our upbringing and experiences because we take it everywhere we go. So teachers are taking that into the classroom as well. And so you have to be careful if we're talking about mental wellness, we cannot 
not talk about physical wellness at all. You know, so there, there has to be a push to make sure that we're having that conversation that, you know, you're exercising, take your kids outside and walk around the building, walk mm-hmm. around the track, you know, and you can still be teaching something that is a part of their core subjects. You just got to think outside the box. You know, mm-hmm. we can go outside and do science outside and talk about all sorts of things. But we have to be willing to expand our thinking so that we can do that. You know, so EAP, taking care of your physical wellness, taking care of your mental wellness by utilizing some EAP services, getting physically active. You know, yoga is is good. Aerobics is good. I caution people about meditation um, because everybody is not ready to meditate. And that's a whole nother discussion. But you have to make sure you don't have a bunch of unresolved issues when you start meditating because you get so quiet and still that things come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And so some of your traumas can surface that you're not in a position to deal with by yourself. So meditation is one that I don't recommend for everybody. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's that's such good information. And what would you say, um, any advice to just the counselors out there, you know, anything you could say to these other high school counselors that are listening or school psychologists? Yeah, I would say that self-care starts with self. And I think that when you are a helping professional, a lot of times you have on your cape and you think that you're good, but we can all get to a point where we're on overload. We're all like sponges. So even with a sponge, if you put enough water in it, it's going to expand and start leaking. The water going to start leaking from that sponge. And so we have to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and not feeling guilty for taking care of yourselves. I remember when I first started in the school system that sometimes people would make you feel bad for needing to be off. If you weren't sick and you just said, you know, my family has something going on, people would admonish you. And so part of taking care of yourself is knowing what your needs are. That's not for anybody else to identify. So every time I hear somebody that says they're about to retire and they get, oh, I got 500 sick hours. I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. Why, 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 why? Because first of all, you're not even gonna get paid for all of that. Take your time unplug so that you can recharge. And so I think counselors and psychologists in particular have to be very careful because we're not always the best at doing that because we're so used to taking care of everybody else. That's right. And and that is one thing I forgot to ask you. What do you do when a kid doesn't want help? Yeah, I was literally about to ask that. So, So here's the thing about that. Literally. Most kids want help. It's about establishing the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so so when I was an administrator, I focused a lot with my teachers on how to establish relationships with kids and gain trust. Mm -hmm. Once you do, but you have to do that on the front end. You cannot start by telling somebody what they need to do better where they need to improve. You got to have a relationship with somebody before you can do that. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, they're not going to receive it. So in my opinion, I I don't see many kids 
that don't want the help and support. Sometimes they don't understand what it is. But when you establish that relationship on the front end and they trust you, yeah, you can help them. And they will they will allow you to. And you'll find that they really do want the help. For you got any last questions? Um, that was my actual thought. I was gonna ask what do you do for the and and maybe to counter that as well, not counter it or to add on to it, when you find that even let's say that you're establishing a relationship or that's part of it, what happens when you have a parent who's at their wits end and they're looking for the resources? They've tried everything that they can with their kid and them and the kid are just not gelling. Mm -hmm. Like at that point, what is the recommendation to when they don't know they're trying to, and especially in the black community where at a certain age, we know that we see especially young black boys and some um, young ladies end up in trouble, trouble, where they're starting to get locked up and they're starting to have other things happen to them that leads to larger trouble before they may even get to high school or right at the high school age. What is what do you do for those parents in that kind of disconnect when they don't know who to turn to? Should they turn to counselors? Should they turn to the school system? What is it? You know, what do they do? One of the things, Free, that I used to say to my parents, and again, it was just because my background was different. Mm -hmm. I used to say to my parents, you have to be careful about the information that you share in the schoolhouse. Because what you don't want is for your child to get pigeonholed, for his record to contain information that is damaging because of people not understanding what could really be going on with him. And so, you know, when parents would come to me and tell me something about little Johnny got something going on and, and, and I could recognize that this is a mental health issue that we need to address. I didn't say that to them, but what I would say to them is don't mention this to the teacher, the secretary, the principal, let me provide you with some resources and tell you where you need to start. Because we're going to start with an assessment, a physical assessment and a mental assessment to rule out that whatever is causing the behavior is either something that's physical that we can address or something mental that we need to address. So that was the first thing. I think that it depends on the age of a child. Because of course, just because a, a parent and a child are in conflict, if they're in elementary school, you're not making a recommendation for them to move out and go stay with somebody else unless the environment is not safe and unhealthy. But when you talk about kids who are getting into high school, who are at a place where they're trying to form the basis for their independence. I've had families before where the child got along better with the grandma. And so going to be with grandmama was a better option to make sure that that child could graduate on time and could then go to school. I actually had a one of my clients at the age of 16 years old, she emancipated herself from her mom. In essence, she divorced her mother and went to live with her paternal grandmother because she said, I don't know why my mother is mean. I don't know why my mother is hateful. But what I know is that when she acts the way she acts, I can't go to school and learn. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, my discussion with her was the great thing about life is that it's not written in blood and stone. And so if it comes to a point where you want to go back to your mom's house because you all's relationship is better, you can always make that decision. You don't have to just feel like, oh my God, since I moved out, I have to stay away from my mother. So a lot of times it just takes conversation and understanding from everybody's perspective, what the needs are and what the challenges are, because that's the only way that you can really give them some guidance and support. Gosh, you have dropped so many gems today. So much good information. I, I, when I thought about you, I was like, she's perfect for this discussion. Because <laughs> you have so much experience. And yeah, I have a lot of experience. And you've seen it from all angles, right? At least several angles as, you know, okay. working within the school system, being a parent, raising, you know, four kids. You know, you've seen a lot and you, you've I done have. during the pandemic. And, you know, my I really hope that there is a, a shift in the right direction <laughs> where we can get you know, more mental health counselors in the schools to, you know, complement, right, what the other counselors are doing and and kind of alleviate some of the pressure from them. And then mm-hmm. being more school psychologists per school, right? We, we need that as well. Um, but certainly applaud, you know, what your school is doing and, and bringing you in. That's definitely a step in the right direction. We thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Adrian. Absolutely. Anytime. I think this conversation is going to help um, a lot of counselors, educators, um, and folks that are that are out there on the front lines. Because because you all are our frontline workers, in my opinion, really out there every day helping our babies, right, and nurturing them in ways that sometimes their parents can't. Um, so because right. they don't have the skill set. That's right. That's right. So any any final words, Dr. Adrian and. Can you let our listeners know how they can follow you? And, and I know you have some good conversations on social media going too. So give us all the, give us a 411 on that. Well, what I would say is that everybody needs to show themselves some grace because these last two and a half years have been difficult on everyone. And so I think that what we are seeing is we're not seeing anything that is new and different. We got quiet and still enough for it to be louder. And so we have to make a decision in terms of how much do we allow to infect us personally? It's okay to turn the television off. It's okay to set boundaries with people and say, you know what? This isn't a conversation that I want to have right now. It doesn't work for me right now. We have to show ourselves some grace and give ourselves permission to put our needs first. Take care of yourself because you can't take care of everybody else and you're falling to pieces. And so that self-care part is very, very important. And I've had so many people throughout the years that say, but everybody tells me I'm selfish because... I want to go to the movies by myself or I don't want to have children or I want to travel alone. That's not being selfish. That's being self-preserving. And so everybody has the responsibility to figure out what does that look like for me? Mm -hmm. And so parents, you know, I had a mother yesterday in tears about a seventh grader that she wanted to walk into the building. And so I handed her some Kleenex and said, 
we got your baby. But here we're creating young men. Mm-hmm. Even my pre-K baby walked into school by herself. I said, he got this. Mm-hmm. Don't transfer your anxiety to him. So parents have to be very, very careful because children are like magnets. Mm-hmm. And so what it is that we are emitting, it will be attracted to them and they will latch on to it. So parents take care of yourselves in order to take care of your children. Teachers take care of yourselves in order to take care of students. And what would you say to the school systems, again, just in terms of this crisis or whatever we're in or not, in terms of bringing more people in to really be able to effectively bring about change from a mental health perspective? I think that a part of it, Shanti, is that we can start with the individuals that we have. You know, I used to do a training with my teachers on a book. It was by uh, an author, educator named Ruby Payne. And it was it's called Understanding Poverty because a lot of teachers have middle school, middle class values. And they would bring, they bring their middle class values into situations with children who are not from that same socioeconomic status. And so I would train them to understand cycles of poverty, to understand what generational poverty looks like so that there could be a shift, hopefully, in their mindset. So I think that one of the things that the school system can do is to provide more training so that everybody on your staff, not just your teachers, your custodians, I've seen a lot of conflicts that happen with custodians and students because of the way that you engage them. And because you don't know what their triggers are, then that means we need to train everybody on how to engage our students in a way that is respectful. So utilize the folk you got and train them. Yeah. And how can we reach you? Well, every Tuesday night from 7 to 9 p.m., please listen to Real Relationship Talk with Dr. Adrian. News and Talk 1380 WAOK. You can download the Odyssey app and listen from any of your devices. And when I have a conversation that's going to be real, real juicy, like the one that I had on this past Tuesday, um, you know, sometimes I go live on, through Couch Conversations with Dr. Adrian on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Free the Vision, our co-host, how can we keep in touch and how can, what do we want folks to do to keep in touch with us? I am free the vision everywhere. So please follow me and check me out. Um, also follow Silence the Shame on Instagram at Silence the Shame on Twitter and Facebook at Silence TH Shame. And um, be sure to rate, comment, subscribe and share our podcast. Let us know your thoughts. Also, let us know what you would like to hear from us, because that helps us talk to you. Um, and yeah, I, and thank you for listening to Shanti. How can they follow you? You can follow me at Shanti Doss 404 on Instagram and Twitter. And my website is shantidoss.biz. But yeah, thank you guys for, for tuning in again. We are in the season of our babies going back to school. And, and hopefully this has been, I know I certainly learned a lot. And, and I hope you will share this podcast with everybody in your network family members, parents, aunties, uncles, 
mm-hmm. counselors, you know, school leaders, educators, all of that. This has been great. You've been uh, tuning in uh, to the Silence of Shame podcast. And again, as we always say, make sure you take time, save a life and silence the shame.